So, what exactly are you waiting for, Agamus? Is this part of the plan? Of course it is. Peanut Hamper faked her change of heart. She's meeting me here so we can use the shuttle you two gave me to get to Plymeria, a little planet that's ripe for domination. What? That doesn't sound like her. I, I was so touched by her parole board speech. Because you're a fool! All right. Hey, uh, while we wait, how about you give me that intel you have on those attacks, you know, just to pass the time? Maybe she's waiting on a different beach. They're all very similar. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, turning my red light blue. <laughs> and we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Lower Decks, episode 7 of season 4, A Few Badgies More, an episode that I think was being built up for for a while now. Um and somewhat teased the return of Badgie, but also Agamus and Peanut Hamper. Tyler, did this episode that you've been counting the days till deliver? Uh, no, not really. I mean, but also I, I, I wasn't a huge like Badgie fan, and I wasn't a huge Peanut Hamper fan. So uh, put them together in one episode, I'm like, ah. <laughs> eh. You know, I, I am a big Jeffrey Combs fan, and I honestly, I thought Agamus, I thought he was a highlight, and I thought that storyline was a highlight for me. I thought it was a hoot, but the thing that kind of realizes that uh, I, I guess Mariner really needs some sort of AI nemesis at that at this point. Uh, she's the only one among the uh, main cast members, like the uh, the core four, sort of speak, that uh, does not have an AI nemesis. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So I guess this wasn't kind of the uh, grand team-up episode that we thought we might get. Perhaps that comes next season when we get a fourth evil AI. Well, I wonder if, uh, because it's Mariner, that uh, Gucci will be her nemesis just you know uh, she, she, she likes to go against the grain right there that could be really interesting uh i give this episode points for not delivering what i what i probably expected from you know an episode teaming up or at least seeming to team up these four evil ai characters and that i thought it would be much more of kind of your conventional supervillain team up episode and the fact that they kept Badgie separate to his own storyline and dealt with that just with Rutherford, you know, separately, I thought that was actually kind of interesting. I wonder if fans are happy with that or if they feel like they were shortchanged and not getting what I think some shows would have delivered. And it also made me think of you and I prognosticating what Picard season three would be about and seeing those trailers with, you know, Lore and Moriarty and thinking like, I think this might be a team-up of, you know, rogue AI characters and also not getting that there either. But was this episode teased as, like, the Sinister Six or something like that? Like, I, I don't watch um, trailers for episodes. You know, I'll watch it mm. for seasons, but I try to stay away from episode-to-episode trailers. And I don't know, like, were there interviews ahead of time? Like, we're going to have, like, a giant AI team-up episode? Because, I mean, for me, like, I, w I wasn't let down by the fact that, uh, you know, these three uh, AI characters didn't all meet face-to-face, -face, you know? So, I, I, like, to me, uh, what'll let me down is if characters' actions seem inorganic, or if the laughs just aren't there, or if the story is just way too manic. I thought this episode was fine. It, like, uh, 
for me, it was very much kind of uh, C plus B minus level lower decks all the way through. Mm-hmm. I think it. I don't think the showrunners were going out of their ways to like promise that. I think it was more like people connecting the dots. At least like that's what I was doing myself. So maybe it's just on me having that expectation. But you had the setup of Agamus and Peanut Hamper housed together in you know the previous episode they appeared in. And then also you had the uh, revelation that Badgie was still alive at the end of season three. So I think I like, for many, like the wheels started turning that like, wait a second, these characters are being kept kind of circulating on the edges of this show. It seems like a team up seems natural. Okay. I mean, I was thinking about the, the episode more thematically uh, versus, you know, kind of the, uh, the plot wise, but I, I totally understand why you're kind of connecting certain dots you know because like they all happen to be you know ai right there so but mm-hmm. it wasn't something that's uh that that i got too hung up on you know um i i i preferred you know terms like meat pipes which i'm gonna <laughs> work into my uh my vocabulary uh right now and also like what i did like again i go back to the agamus stuff but you know like uh evil you know <laughs> computers going through therapy you know you know like uh uh, there's a great quote uh, from one of the uh, evil uh computers but uh he said you know instead of organics what i really need to subjugate is my feelings and Mm. uh you know i have conquered self-doubt you know like those are the things that like i found funny there and cam i am sorry you and i have been talking about this for a long time but like in Star Trek, the color red always signals evil, uh-huh. and so I, I was genuinely uh, joyful when um, they acknowledged that, and um, the way that that uh, Agamus tried to disguise himself, or at least his intentions, was turning his light blue in front of um, uh, in front of Boimler. There, that that was pretty awesome. And having characters comment on it, being like, "I didn't know you could switch colors," <laughs> I thought that was very clever. Yeah, do you think a Borg drone, if it wanted to, like, uh, give, like, say, a golden light versus, you know, a red light coming through the eyes, could it do that? Or would it have to go through some sort of uh, upgrades? Could a Borg drone? No. But perhaps no. the Borg queen controlling them could do it as part mm-hmm. of a grand scheme. Okay. <laughs> what a grand scheme that would turn out to be. Oh, yeah, I do know what it would be. It would be because everybody's now convinced that the Borg, they're no longer evil. They're now good because the color uh, has changed in their little eye socket uh, uh, pointers there. Should we have had a moment at the end of season two when Gerardi became the uh, the other Borg queen where the Borg drones changed the color of their beams? I think that's that would have signaled. You know how there was so much confusion about what happened to the Borg between seasons two and three among the fans? I think that would have been like the <laughs> signal right there. You know, like, oh, they are associated with a different color now. Interesting. I, I, I get it. Although, okay, what color do you associate with the Borg more so? Uh, red, you know, as kind of those uh, eye pointers that Locutus is so famous for. Or the color green in which we have the... Uh, regeneration chambers and you see those uh, with kind of the uh, the static green stuff going on um, I don't know red versus green cam go versus stop I go green with the Borg but I also yeah. think they're fighting for that color because when I think red I tend to think more Klingons but sure. when I think green I go both Borg and Romulans I think, I think Romulans we have, a, yeah. have a battle royale yeah for the color green so what uh, color do you associate with humans or with the Federation um I think it's an easy Maybe one, isn't blue? it? Blue? Yeah, you got you the uh, yeah, yeah the UFP symbol yeah. there. That that that's blue right there. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, oh no, I got I got one for you. The Dominion. The Dominion. Uh, 
Hmm. I don't know that I have a color attached to that one. Okay. Maybe purple, like a dark purple. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think uh, dark purple, you, you know, I was originally thinking maybe kind of golden, like the changelings, you know, but I, I think dark purple, when I think of maybe some of the Jem'Hadar uniforms or the symbol of the Dominion or their uh, the Jem'Hadar ships, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe purple. And uh, Wayun's eyes, you know. So mm. uh, show, we're bringing it all back to Jeffrey Combs once more. And I look forward to more Agamus um, appearances. You know, he was a lot of fun in this. Um, the fact that he eventually just thought Peanut Hamper uh, was trying to uh, do this incredibly convoluted plot of deceiving him within their larger deception <laughs> and all that. I thought that was great. But Cam, do you believe Peanut Hamper is actually fully rehabilitated and she might not fall back into her old ways at uh, another point throughout the run of the series? I think uh, we have not seen the last of Peanut Hamper because mm -hmm. Peanut Hamper strikes me as a character who goes whichever way the wind is blowing. <laughs> and the idea that, uh, you know, Peanut Hamper would be scheming with Agamus to escape and have a scheme and then get out and be like, ah, you know what? Uh, actually, I'm kind of enjoying this. I'm going to settle down with my, you know, father Kevin for a while. But give it time. I could see her going in a completely different direction. And I know people did not like the second Peanut Hamper episode that's become incredibly clear, but I do think they've gonna, done a good job at establishing just the psyche of this character. So I think you can kind of do whatever you want with her because she is kind of that chaotic character, that chaotic energy you don't, you don't get as much in Star Trek. Who's more deranged, Peanut Hamper or Badgie? Oh, I would say Peanut Hamper because I think you could always um, pinpoint what Badgie is going to do, whereas Peanut Hamper, I don't think you could. I get the sense that Badgie's journey, as we know him, is, is I mean, he's ascended. I think it's done. I think there's still room for Guji and Logiki to have some fun. I will say that their respective names don't quite roll off the tongue the same way that <laughs> Badgie does. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, we'll see where we go with those characters, especially if they're uh, what, playing with grappler hooks in uh, the uh, shuttle hangouts workshop area that the, uh, the lower decks always seem to love. I did have a cynical moment thinking like, boy, I wonder if, uh, you know, Guji and Logiki were just kind of created because like pins and stuff like that merchandise featuring badgies sold reasonably well. And now you've got like two more variants of it and it's very easy to manufacture copycats basically well guess what now i have to get my agamus with the red light and my agamus with the blue light you know those, those action figures just flying off the shelves right now <laughs> i really did like this um turn for the badgie kind of arc we've had going because i wasn't like the world's biggest fan of the first badgie episode i thought it kind of got one note at a certain point where it was just I don't know, Jason Voorhees, psychotic badgie. And the fact that they were teasing the return after what I thought was a really fantastic possible farewell in the season one finale. I, I wasn't kind of looking forward to evil badgie on the run again. And when we had that set up with the binars and then badgie having a lot of like, I'm going to kill you kind of stuff with the veins around the eyes. It just felt like, okay, I've seen this joke before. What can we do with it? The idea of splitting off into separate personalities i thought was a good idea and frankly i did like the farewell that we got to badgie if it is a farewell and we've had those in the past so who really knows but yeah the idea of ascending to like a higher plane of being like decker and Ilya merging and flying off on the human adventure i like that i thought it was both funny to have the you know koala up there um but also just like 
felt true to Star Trek and to do that to a character you wouldn't necessarily see that, you know, happening to. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you, you brought up the term one note and something that we talked about last week as well is, you know, like at a certain point, if Mariner's character doesn't really, you know, grow and develop, she'll become, you know, one note. And we had some acknowledgement last week in the Ferengi episode that, look, she's got she's to gotta figure out what she's exactly rebelling against at this point. Uh, again, if Badgie's kind of come to kind of a natural end of his course, let's not make him one note. Let mm. let this Badgie character ascend. Let's see where uh, the, the logic key and, and Gucci take us. Uh, Peanut Hamper, I... They were doing something different with Peanut Hamper and with Agamus this episode. So I do appreciate there's at least like enough self-awareness on the part of the creators of the show where they're like, yeah, let, let's not just keep beating the same note again and again and again. Let, let, let's let, let's bring these characters. They don't have to be main characters, but let's bring these recurring characters into different spots. And that just makes them more interesting. And we've never really had a good Badgie character on the show for any major amount of time. When we first met Badgie, he turned you know, evil pretty quickly. And it's a pretty fast paced show back in those days on Lower Decks. And so the idea of now having, you know, Gucci on the ship, I'm like, yeah, like, let's have some fun with that character. Maybe we get an episode a season or something like that, where we could go off in different directions with that character, please. And logic as well. I just think Badgie had run its course. There was nothing left to do. And so now you have carved out a path forward where you don't have to kind of rely on what you've known before. And I did think, though, for a moment when you had Rutherford hug Badgie, that, oh, this is interesting. They might actually take this in a different direction. And they did, but not in the way I thought. I thought they might actually, you know, um, give a redemption arc to Badgie. Um, they kind of did because he kind of realized, you know. Um, yeah. You know, so that, that, that was interesting uh, there. Um. With regards to Agamus, though, you know, uh, the Federation really went to the effort of trying to rehabilitate him, you know, versus keeping him locked up in that evil computer refrigerator where he eventually found himself back in the end. Um, did they did they give Laura a shot as well? Did Laura get to go to, like, <laughs> evil AI counseling for a little while? With the recreation room and everything, which I thought was a wonderful psych egg. Yeah, play some basketball, you know uh grow some cilantro or something well i would say it's funny because lower decks is the you know quicker paced 24 minute episodes or whatever it is co like comedy show but they often think through some of these things a little more than the live action shows where like yes there was a lot of sight gags but the idea of having like a rehabilitation center for rogue ai i thought was actually a really funny idea and the sort of thing that made me go that could have been an episode like, you could have built yeah. just a half-hour episode around what goes on at an AI redemption center and centered it on these characters we've spent time with. Uh, I would totally be interested in watching that half-hour. And so I give the, the writers a lot of credit for just like kind of coming up with that concept and then taking the characters through that journey because we've seen, like, live-action shows that never really would have thought about that. B4 got disassembled, or dis disassembled, I should say, and put in a drawer... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he went to that same rehab center, and it didn't take for him, so that's why he got uh, put in that drawer. Maybe, maybe that, that's the deal. Maybe, maybe it worked on Lore, and that's why we haven't seen him uh, over the last uh, 35 years or so. He, he's just living his best life at this point. Yeah, well, when we last saw Lore, uh, kind of the two mergings of Data and Lore, he seemed like he was kind of up, up to his old tricks, but yeah, who knows, right? So that was his programming, but that wasn't his physical body, though. Very true. Yeah, so yeah. like maybe after Descent... 
the physical body of lore has just been in that uh, in that clinic, and maybe he also has taken up a love of gardening. Yeah, I I do appreciate that the uh, at the beginning of the episode, the the writers weren't trying to make the audience think that um this rehab center was the most effective thing in the world you know and like <laughs> boimler was very skeptical and i <laughs> i like tendy's line i think it was probably my favorite line of the episode in which uh, she found out that uh, peanut hamper is about to be paroled and she's like well she wasn't in there very long i guess the <laughs> system really works <laughs> and just like the earnestness and like to me that was the best line right there but the, uh, you know the writers are uh, smart enough to know the audience is smart enough that we're skeptical of these sorts of claims here. But I don't know, by the end, I, I guess the system really did work for now. Yeah, and I liked also that they kind of set up this Silence of the Lambs kind of thing with Agamus having information on this Binar attack, and he wants to see Boimler. And I'm going like, yeah, I feel like I've seen kind of riffs on this story before, but they quickly got out of it. They set up, you know, the two of them in a room, but then it was like a road trip episode where it didn't feel like Agamus as this mastermind manipulator kind of putting Boimler through the paces. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, so you brought up this mystery ship that's been floating around all season. Uh, I, I was actually, like, thinking about it last week, and so it didn't really surprise me to find out that it wasn't destroying ships. It was merely kind of transporting the crew or at least leaving some, you know, peripheral sort of debris in its wake to fool things, you know. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not jumping on Reddit to f- figure out what's going on in advance, you know. I, I, I'm just wondering if the payoff is, I mean, they, they've done this in every episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like for me, like I'm not particularly invested in what the payoff is going to be. But if it's lame, then I'm just going to roll my eyes when I go back and rewatch this season. On one hand, I agree. Like, the build-up, if it doesn't deliver, will be just a real, like, shoulder shrug. But I do appreciate that this show is having these teases in every episode. It is doing kind of like a serialized story. And yet, when I go back years from now and just pop on random episodes of this season, it won't really matter because they're so brief. Uh, It's not like the connective tissue that you get in, like, Discovery or Picard where those episodes can't exist in isolation. Right. So, like, I appreciate that. But I do wonder... Because I can't even keep track how many times we've seen this scenario of an alien ship being attacked by this mystery ship. And that's just kind of like our tease. We've had it like, what, like four or five times now? Okay, so we start with the uh, the Binar mm-hmm. uh, this week, uh, Frangi the previous week. Uh, we've also seen it with the Romulans, right? And Yeah, and Klingon. And Klingons. Are we missing... Are we missing a... I feel like we might be missing a ship. Here. I don't think we've seen a Vulcan ship. Um, uh-huh. I'm racking my brain of popular Star Trek aliens. If there was like one that was like uh, featured that wasn't like a, a, you know, like a A-list or alien species just as a tease. I don't remember. Right. Like there weren't like Cardassians or anything like that. What about an Orion? What, no, I think it hit the Orions, didn't it? Yes, it did. Good call. Yeah. Yes, the Ryans. Yeah. yeah. So we've seen it happen at least five times so far. And I think it happened twice in one episode, too. So And it can feel like repetitive because it is kind of the same tease every time. So there has to be something to the payoff that rewards you paying attention to each of these like five sequences, which are all very much the same. And that I think also has to in some way 
deliver on the fact it is different species being targeted each time. Like there has to be some sort of outcome that makes sense as to why we saw, you know, Romulans, uh, Orions and all that sort of thing being kidnapped potentially. Do you think it's like, this is what William Boymore has been up to after joining section 31 last season? If you're going to tease something like this, it has to have a payoff that I think people are in some way surprised by. And they did tease, tease, you know, William Boimler. That is, to me, I think, at the moment, the only real solution I think that would be kind of in line with what we are kind of being set up for, at least in terms of the breadcrumbs the show has been dropping along the way. Yeah, it's just like whenever these disappearances happen, it kind of has some sort of like effect on maybe that week's episode like uh, some reverberations on the storyline you know um even remember uh two or three weeks ago we had the um the beta z secret agent ladies pretending to do the uh, uh bachelorette party yeah and it was because they wanted increased security amid all these disappearances i'm just like okay i don't know it's just kind of like uh, but then I, i'm ultimately <laughs> here <laughs> I'm going to get to the end of this, and I'm going to ask myself this. It's like, what was the point? Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure. No. And, like, there's a um, a simplicity I appreciate to these teases, but there's also a, going back to a word I used earlier, like a one-note nature to these, where we've kind of seen the same thing over and over again. And I don't... It's going to be, I think, tough to deliver something that doesn't feel like they were just kind of dragging it out. Yeah, because it's not like they were evolving what they were showing us. At least that I don't. Maybe, maybe there's some genius to it that when I go back and rewatch the episodes, each of these various attack scenarios will be like, "Oh my god!" Like they were teasing things right in front of me in every one of these. But at the moment, it feels kind of repetitive. Well, maybe it's just a really famous Star Trek ship that we <laughs> totally forgot about, and <laughs> everyone else is in on it except for us. Although it does kind of remind me of um, Boba Fett's ship, whose name we're not allowed to say anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just called Boba Fett's ship on okay. action figures. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So you know what? Uh, Ahsoka. Uh, it, it's uh, season finale was last week. So uh, no more Ahsoka talk. But uh, Cam, did you catch the secret, very short trek that was dedicated to a belching contest between uh, T'Pol and Spock? What? No, I didn't. That's because um, the fact that I could pitch that to you and you believed it could be real. <laughs> speaks to where they really went places with those very short treks uh over the last like five weeks preceding this episode here wouldn't it be amazing if that was what lured jolene blaylock back to the franchise <laughs> she had no lines of dialogue but it was uh, her own her own burps that she was contributing <laughs> she was like i've turned down all these various cameos that could have been offered to me but you know what these very short treks i'm liking the cut of their jib <laughs> yeah yeah uh but we have been hearing a lot of like talk lately. Okay, look, Patrick Stewart, he is out hawking his uh, memoir right now. Um, I read last week that that uh, funny quote that he had about Tom Hardy, essentially calling Tom Hardy like a one big fat weirdo. And uh, we had fun discussing that. But like, h- how do you sell these sorts of uh, memoirs? How do you market them? I mean, like he- he's doing a lot of talk right now about how, you know, they, they want one more go at a TNG film. Um, Cam, like... Like, 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 okay, obviously we would watch it, but but what's the demand like for this, and, and no pun intended, this particular enterprise? <laughs> um, I would say that 
in terms of the fan world, probably pretty high because it seemed like uh, fans were very into Picard season three. So I think if they announced they wanted to do some sort of like TNG final movie or something, I do think the appetite among the fan circles is very high. But like, is it high outside of that? That I'm not as sure about. I, if you go to Paramount, after they've negotiated uh, strikes with the writers and strikes with the actors, uh, hopefully that, that'll be coming uh, to a close uh, very soon. But um, And then you pitch to Paramount, hey, we want a film headlined by seven people in their 60s and 70s. Will you give us at least $100 million to go do this? I would say no. I think the studios are going to have to... Um, figure out their budgets in a whole new way. It, let's say uh, CBS had $100 billion in their, not $100 billion, $1 billion <laughs> in their budget for the next fiscal year. Yeah. Well, I don't think just because you negotiate new contracts with the writers and the actors that their budget goes to $1.2 billion. I think it mm -hmm. stays at $1 billion, which means that you have to maybe not give the green light to certain projects, or maybe you have to cut down on episode counts or uh, VFX shots, for example, or maybe not as much location shooting. So I think this is going to have like repercussions on the industry. And I just don't know. <laughs> Actually, I think I think it's unlikely that a TNG movie is top of mind for the folks at Paramount right now. I, I think, look, uh, <laughs> How many different sorts of like uh, theatrical films are in the works? I, I mean, uh, an infinite number <laughs> at this point. I think a TNG movie would have to be a, a Paramount Plus streaming endeavor, not not something oh, that yeah. would go into cinemas. Oh, I never for a second considered that that would be a theatrical film. I I think those days are long behind the TNG crew. What What do you think Patrick Stewart's been considering though? <laughs> I you know what I think that Patrick Stewart has a good sense of the landscape he works in. I'd like to think he does. I mean, the man was an exec producer on uh, Picard <laughs> yeah. seasons one through three. So I think he knows what's going on. Um, I, I think he would know that it would be for streaming because if they're putting like the Michelle Yeoh section 31 film to streaming, it would make sense to me that like a TNG movie could follow if they want to continue that uh, maybe one movie a year kind of program that they seem to be teasing with section 31 maybe. Okay, yeah. Like, you would have to be... Okay. Because otherwise he kind of sounds like a loon if he's oh, yeah. thinking they're going to get some sort of, like, Chris Pine sort of budget or anything like that. And I don't know, like, look, I th these folks have a blast working with each other. They've been friends for, you know, like more than 35 years at this point. Um, I just don't know what the story is left to tell after season three. You know, I, I think you and I weren't nearly as high on season three as other folks. I thought you and I thought it was fine, but not necessarily exceptional. Um, I don't know if there's an exceptional idea that they could, you know, bring these characters to at this point. Like, uh, are, are they going to jump back on like Seven of Nine's Enterprise G? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, and so what does that mean? You're going to have to like have like 10 like notable characters to service over the course of two hours. We know that doesn't work. That's never worked in the TNG movies. You know, it was always like the data and Picard show. Yeah. And my concern also is this absolute refusal in pop culture now to say goodbye to characters. 
And the fact was, Picard Season 3 ended with that crew around the tables, you know, echoing the shot from the end of All Good Things. To me, like, I don't really know of a better kind of way to say farewell to the fans than with that moment. And Patrick Stewart is saying, I, I think we could come up with a, you know, a, a more like um, profound goodbye to these <laughs> characters. And I'm like, oh my God, learn the lesson of Indiana Jones, yeah. whose movie, by the way, latest one, was outgrossed this year in 2023 by The Meg 2 on the, at the worldwide box office. So take that into account. That is a sad, sad ending for Indiana Jones. Look at Stallone's refusal to leave the Rambo franchise and just drive it into the ground. Or, you know, like kind of the infighting going on with him and Rocky. Like, it's just like people write really great farewells sometimes. Accept it. Like, go, okay, maybe I still have a passion for the character, but what I saw on screen... That was a perfect ending, and fans loved it. Like, just walk away. Please, people, learn to walk away. <laughs> now, I, I do want to correct one thing that you uh, said that's only going to bolster your, your broader point, though. But uh, okay, the last shot of uh, Picard Season 3 was not them playing uh, poker. It was Q uh, reappearing <laughs> in Jack Crusher's quarters. <laughs> saying, uh, and the uh, trial of humanity continues. So even a character that we said goodbye to at the very end of season two, uh, Q comes back for one more go. Like, they cannot let go of uh, characters, can they? I am totally at peace with, like, well, we saw Kira um, and Quark on, um, on Lower Decks. We've seen crossovers. We saw Seven of Nine on Picard. I don't think those characters said goodbye in their previous appearances. Like, they would still have lives ahead of them. To me, like, Odo is a little more of a farewell um, when he, you know, in, in the final episode of DS9. But, like, yeah. Yeah. when you have characters you're just dredging out of, you know, like, basically the bin, because Q was finished. Q died at the end of Season 2, Picard. Was it the greatest farewell? No. But they were so quick to retcon that at the end of Picard Season 3. And it's like... <laughs> Like, have confidence in your farewell. Like, it, it took them 20 years or whatever it was to realize that, like, Nemesis was a terrible farewell and to undo it. But, like, Picard Season 3 was undoing a farewell from, like, four months earlier. <laughs> well, in all fairness, it, it was a pretty terrible season. That that was Season 2. And, and uh, I don't know. The, 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 he, the Q ended with giving, like, Picard a big old, like, bear hug. And I'm just like, this is not what their relationship was about over those decades. And I, I just... I can totally wrap my head around, um, you know, uh, Q's response to Jack at the very end of season three was like, oh, you think I am gone? How linear. I can totally imagine this being, you know, uh, the the um, timeline of Q that was kind of, you know, his midlife. And what we saw in season two of Picard was the equivalent of us thinking like Q one million later one million years later, he just happened to go back in time to visit Picard uh, for those season two adventures. Sure. Like the thing with a character like Q is there's always kind of a back door to be able to do whatever you want with him because of the powers that mere, us mere mortals cannot grasp. But I look at so many of the times that Star Trek has dragged things out. Like think of the final moments of Star Trek six, second start of the right straight on till morning, you know, credits handwritten credits from the cast of the original series and then like you get kirk's farewell in um you know generations yeah. which is like just like the cheesiest death scene possible and it's kind of a bummer like i would have almost preferred that we had 
Kirk feature into it, but from a point of view of like a, a small supporting character, like someone who's maybe retired or just become an admiral or something like that, just set up like Kirk as an ongoing presence as an individual, but not like a grand farewell that didn't deliver when they brought him back. And the fact that they've, you know, so many times workshop ways to bring Kirk back onto some sort of Star Trek project, and it's never quite worked out, but you know that it's always tempting. And look at the farewell of Spock in 2009, where it's him, you know, giving the Vulcan salute to Zachary Quinto's Spock and saying, live long and prosper and walk away. And you're like, what a perfect passing of the baton. Beautiful. What a wonderful farewell to Spock. And then our actual final Spock moment of Leonard Nimoy on screen, um, not a photo in part three, but in part two, where it's him showing up on a view screen and being like, uh, yeah, Con, um, yeah, uh, bad news. Uh, watch out for that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, he's Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things where I'm just kind of like, Patrick, I get it. It would be fun for you guys to do one more adventure. My guess, though, is the future of TNG is probably going to be some sort of reboot series. You know, like I, mm. I you know, like we're getting, like we're getting strange new worlds, which is, you know, like they filmed the cage almost sixty years after Strange New Worlds, uh, you know, premiered and and reintroduced a lot of the same characters. You know, I I just wonder if maybe in another uh, twenty years we get the return of these very iconic characters that are, you know, Picard and Crusher and Worf. And we, we can find a way to revive them in a way that's not going to feel tired. Like, I, I don't think Strange New Worlds feels tired, you know, but I don't know. Like, what if we were watching um, uh, Kelvinverse Adventures every single week for the last uh seven years or something like that maybe that would be a little weird but i like i i just wonder if the kelvin verse works so well because um you know <laughs> we only get these movies once every nine years yeah i i wonder too if like in you know 20 years some number like that like because i'm not thinking say 2025 but we had like a stargazer show with like a younger picard and you could work in at least a couple of the tng characters along the way i think that is more in line with something like strange new worlds and i think it could work it'd be fun to see the stargazer and by that you're you're talking about um the uh the stargazer a that appeared in season two of the card right <laughs> obviously that's the show i want to watch yes yeah, yeah. okay um well, mr smith i guess we have some star trek prodigy news and that's uh the the series that uh, was canceled off of uh Paramount Plus, just because it was canceled on that streaming service doesn't mean that the studio producing it, which is CBS, and keep in mind that Paramount Plus and CBS Studios share a same parent company. It's a little confusing, but uh, CBS was able to take that property elsewhere, and it's going to be um, on Netflix globally in, in most countries, but not here in Canada. It's going to be on the CTV app. Cam, that you know, um, the Canadian television mm. app. Um, I use it daily. Uh, well, that's just it. Like, <laughs> so again, I'll get into more like fun financial stuff for people that really want to know how the Canadian broadcasting industry works. You know, I'm sure all our listeners are, are up for that. But um, listener, right now, single, single, <laughs> single Canadian listener. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like for the longest time, 
you know, like uh, Crave would run all of the Star Trek shows like Discovery and Picard and all that. I think that's all been folded into Paramount Plus just in the last uh, couple weeks, couple months. Mm. So instead of having Star Trek Prodigy on Crave, which is owned by Bell Media, it's going to be on ctv.ca and the CTV app, which is also owned by Bell Media. And the fact that they're not also having like paying licensing fees to get it back on Crave because, of course, this is where it gets confusing. Prodigy is not on Paramount Plus like uh, at all in, in Canada either, but it's also not on Crave anymore. Yeah. Um, what it tells me is is Bell is not interested in paying all those additional licensing fees, and, and it, it kind of reinforces why I think that show is canceled. Cam, I don't think anybody was watching it. I, just just like minuscule numbers of people were watching it. I, I mean. <laughs> I think you and I made up about 10% of the viewing audience, perhaps, you know, like um, yeah. here in Canada, at least. So I, I, I just wonder, though, if the Netflix platform is really going to be the best thing for, you know, perhaps getting a season three or a, even a season four out of Prodigy moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I was recently in London and I went to their big um, comic book store uh, called Forbidden Planet. And, like, they had a whole bunch of um, Prodigy t-shirts, and they were all, like, marked down, basically on discount. Yeah. I, I just don't think that Prodigy had the viewership to support it being, <laughs> especially a merchandisable show, but something that you would have on one of your streaming networks in a world where people are cutting content out of streaming networks to make room for things that will hopefully get more eyeballs. I'm questioning how many eyeballs Prodigy will get on the CTV app. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably even fewer than the Crave app. I would have to imagine. Uh, I don't even know who really uses the CTV app. So, uh, good luck to Prodigy in Canada, I suppose. But yeah, like I'm not a cable subscriber. I'm a, I'm a cord cutter. Um, so I does that mean I'm I'm gonna need to have some sort of like CTV login credentials, like be a cable subscriber to even like watch it that way? Uh, I have used the CTV website uh, to, to watch a couple of things. And yes, I had to log in using my parents' credentials. Okay, so I guess um, Roger and Lynn will have to share their credentials with me <laughs> when we continue uh, podcasting about Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah, I, I will say for Prodigy, I think Netflix is a perfect home for it. This probably couldn't have worked out better for them, especially like... Um, you know, if you want kids to, uh, kids to be watching Star Trek Prodigy, Paramount Plus just was not the place to really gather up a generation of young kids who are going to fall in love with the adventures of the Protostar. Yeah. Um, I was doing research recently on the latest Spy Kids film uh, for the Spy Hearts podcast and just reading interviews with Rob Rodriguez saying like that he went in to pitch a project and Netflix wasn't keen on the project. They kind of said, eh, we're not as into that. But um, we want Spy Kids content if you can do it because the amount of times that's being clicked on by obviously kids and watching, you know, mm. chunks at a time of all the Spy Kids stuff, please, we want that stuff. And so that's why he made that movie, We Can Be Heroes, from a couple years ago, which had Shark Boy and Lava Girl in it. And they came back and were like, kids are click and play on this thing over and over again. We want more, which is why there's a Spy Kids 5 now on Netflix. So the idea of having something labeled Star Trek just on your searchable windows and having kids potentially clicking play on some of these episodes over and over again, like that could work out so, so well for Prodigy. And I just don't think that ever would have happened on Paramount+. Plus. 
I don't know, man. I I, I think the uh, the CTV app was going to be the one uh, airing <laughs> it globally, and and then I think Netflix is like, if those geniuses have picked it up, we better get in on this action. <laughs> yeah, we can't. We got to snap this up before CTV gets it and gets all the fame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm 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 so delighted that Prodigy gets to continue on. We were at the convention in Vegas uh, over in, uh, back in August, and the uh, creators of the show uh, were there, and, and uh, they were very during their panel. They were very confident that they could land a new home for Prodigy, and I, I'm glad that it came to fruition. I think they said that at the very latest they would have news by December, and so the fact that they're announcing this in October, I think that bodes very well uh, about Netflix's. Um, at least their ambitions and, and the potential that Netflix thinks that they could have with regards to a uh, a Star Trek title. And how did it work? I, I'm so confused. But in uh, the U.S. and Canada, it aired on uh, the Star Trek properties aired on CBS All Access and Crave, respectively. But in the rest of the world, it was on Netflix until we had Amazon Prime come into the mix in some markets when it came to... Was it Star Trek Picard or something? It came, it's so confusing yeah. that like... It was um, Picard on Prime, yeah. Yeah, so... um, But it tells me that like Netflix looked at their metrics and they're like, yeah, um, Star Trek properties do well on our platform. Let's get this going here. Yeah, and also um, Netflix wants to have its own like franchises that it can continue to generate you know, viewership out of. And they've struggled in some ways to create, say, like hit movies that generate sequels for example things like you know the, the gray man or whatever else like they put a lot of money into films that just didn't generate like a series that people were that excited about star trek is something that has a built-in fan base they can't get their hands so much on just like say strange new worlds like really hot new star trek shows but prodigy's one where it is a brand new star trek show it's playing off the ip and recognizable elements of the ip and they can now be the home for it and produce new content and advertise that in a way that I just think like the problem was on Paramount Plus, we were really into Prodigy. But like when I'm sure they're looking at their numbers, they are saying, we got to put our marketing muscle behind Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks because those are the ones people are really excited about. And I'm sure when it came time to like figure out advertising money for Prodigy, they were kind of like, eh, the percentages aren't there. Like we don't really care as much. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure uh, Robert Beltran uh, cared a whole lot uh, after getting his uh, first IMDb credit in uh, quite some time there. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. Um, I mean, I'm sure he was heartbroken that he wouldn't be reprising uh, that character potentially with many more episodes of Prodigy to come. But who knows? Like, I am hopeful that like now that Netflix has gotten their hands on kind of a, a new Star Trek show, that they want to pursue a future with it as well. It's not just like, let's do season two. Yeah, and honestly, like uh, in terms of marketing, Netflix just needs to put something on like their front page, and mm -hmm. uh, get a couple people to watch it, and that kind of gets the word going. And that'll kind of boost the algorithms, and hopefully, that's what it takes to get younger audiences into Star Trek. And by younger audiences, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about people in their twenties. I'm, I'm talking about getting like, uh, you know, like I, I was about eight when I got into Star Trek, getting folks around that age into uh star trek i i think is really needed and um again the, the fact that um you and i are uh uh born in the 80s and not the late <laughs> 80s um and we're among the younger contingent <laughs> attending the uh star trek convention uh, in vegas every year i mean i mean that, that says something 
Yeah, exactly. Like the the franchise needs new blood to come in, and I don't know that they've created something. I I would say Strange New Worlds and maybe Picard. I don't know about. I think Picard services older fans more so, but I think like Strange New Worlds has done a good job introducing the franchise to newer fans. I think it's getting some buzz going again. Exactly. Yeah, I think it has buzz. I think Lower Decks maybe a little tiny bit, but I think Strange New Worlds much more so. And I think Prodigy can do it in a way that's a little more unassuming because I think like when it's something like Strange New Worlds, they're very noisy about it. Like they're kind of like trying to blanket the press with Strange New Worlds stuff. Whereas I think if you just have, you know, Prodigy on Netflix and you have it showing up as watch next, you know, for the right, you know, attach it to the kind of the right programming and things like that. You could just have kids discovering that show and giving it a life versus just bombarding their eyeballs with constant marketing the way that they feel they have to with Picard season three, for example. I just keep thinking back, like what what parents are sitting down with their kids to watch Star Trek Discovery as we have like <laughs> F-bombs yeah. dropped, uh, baby beheadings, um, you know, uh, Klingon nudity. It, it's kind of like uh, you got to find the younger folks somehow. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, Prodigy genuinely surprised us uh, with regards to yeah. how good it was and, and how it really was kind of a four quadrant film. And then those kind of four quadrant films um, kind of refers to being able to appeal to all audiences. And, and you know, like, um, yeah, they, uh, kids, uh, folks our age, you know, I, I, I think Prodigy's very successful. It kind of kind of tapped into that Pixar spirit uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, it worked on multiple levels. And I'm talking about I Cars think... too. <laughs> we all love Mater. But yeah, like I think it's very difficult to like entertain kids and adults in equal measure. And I think Prodigy does that. And it does it in a way that is so unassuming. Uh, it's actually kind of a miracle at how successful that show is at pulling off what is often a very difficult act. Um, I did have a question for you. Okay. Star Trek Discovery season one. Like that show was kind of like a a reboot in some ways of the franchise, meant to draw in new fans. Uh-huh. How disappointed were these people who watched Star Trek Discovery as their first Star Trek show and then tried to watch other episodes of other Star Trek? Oh, as like their first, like their entry point into Star Trek. Yeah. I okay, here's what I would have said. If if I was trying to, if I was watching it with a fan, uh, sorry, if I was watching it with somebody who'd never seen Star Trek before. And they were interested in exploring more after that. I would have told them, like, well, go watch the uh, Kelvinverse movies now. I would have kind mm. of, like, eased them in. But at, at that point, what do you think would have been, like, the next best thing? Like, do you think maybe uh, start them off with uh, the season two finale of uh, Enterprise as we get kind of the, uh, the, the Zindi War going on? I was thinking maybe just the exploding head from Conspiracy on a loop. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting because, like, I think had you seen Discovery as your first ever Star Trek show, there's like a level of like violence and intensity to it that you and kind of like quote unquote adult storytelling that I think would be tough to find in many other places in the franchise. Maybe you would steer them towards something like DS Nine, which at least has darker themes and done much better. It's but you still go back to like. Um... Seasons one, two, and to a much lesser degree, uh, season three, just a little, a little wobbly. And this is an era of television where you, you've got like one or two episodes yeah. to convince somebody to stick around because they've got so many other choices. Where it go back, 
go back to the <laughs> 90s cam and like you're getting 24 episodes and there's nothing else to watch on tv so it's kind of, kind of more of a captive audience and you're willing to give a chance a, a, more of a chance to uh some sort of show like you go back to ds9 it's like look if you make it through those first 51 episodes <laughs> you are going to be rewarded moving forward <laughs> where is we'll we'll, we'll... <laughs> Star Trek Discovery even have 51 episodes by the time that show wraps up? Like, uh, No, uh, I don't think, uh, maybe. maybe. I think it will, yeah. But like Lower Decks, Mike McMahon was saying, hey fans, please, please be very vocal about watching the show because our future isn't carved in stone. So like, it may be like Lower Decks, be, it may be wind up being a show that has 50 episodes. Like who knows, right? Yeah, and I... I, I think like uh like i don't think he was too worried he's i think he, what he was trying to say is like yeah we shouldn't take anything for granted yeah uh, for me lower decks i it, it, it's got to be so much less expansive to produce than any of the other star trek shows on right now including prodigy so that's why i think that it, it, it it's safe for now you know like I, I i i'm not too too concerned about it getting suddenly canceled without at least some signals of that happening first I would have a hard time imagining them uh, pulling the plug on Lower Decks after they've just put this effort into showing it theatrically. And from the sounds of it, at least from the examples of you and Scott, having pretty significant turnouts at those theaters, that shows me that like Lower Decks is something they realize has an audience, does well enough, gets, you know, I I do see it mentioned, you know, online. Um, I see stories written about Lower Decks every week when it's on the air. So like it has enough buzz going for it that... It's not that expensive. You just keep it going. People love the characters. I'm sure that if they ever got their you know butts in gear and cranked out some Lower Decks merchandise, they would probably do quite well. I know there's some out there, but not probably not enough considering how um, iconic a lot of those characters have become and how beloved they are. Um, well, Cam, hopefully you'll get your uh, Chakotay doll uh, one of these days. We can only hope. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Uh, we'll be <laughs> we'll be uh, recapping a Lower Decks episode 7 uh, called Caves. Um, Star Trek sure loves its caves, and so I'm glad that we finally have an episode dedicated to that. Okay, you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in visiting his parents to watch Star Trek Prodigy Smith. <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, at Reportin. That's R-E-P, P as in uh, pipe of meat, O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> what a grand scheme that would turn out to be. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>